We are in the fourth week of a series that we're calling The Church, and uh, we've been learning about what it means to be the church, and uh, I want to give you just a little bit of a review of where we've been so far uh, before I jump into this morning's message. Uh, We started off in the first week uh, looking at a passage where Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, and we learned some things from that passage. The first thing that we learned is that this is God's church. Uh, Every church is his church, that he is building a global community around this confession that he is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And so we have to recognize uh, that it's his church. It belongs to him. So many times we try to take ownership back for ourselves, but it belongs to Christ. And, and so we, so, and then, so not only is it his church, but he has promised to protect it. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, which means that regardless of whatever attempts are made to frustrate the work of the church, whatever attempts that are made by government to, to make uh, Christianity or the church or the gathering of believers uh, illegal or punishable by law, we can move forward in faith and move forward in confidence that it's his church and that he has promised to protect it. And that's good news for us as we build this global community and as he builds it and as we participate in this global community that he is doing. But what we also realize is so many times we are the ones that are frustrating the work of the church by denying his ownership. We church block, we church hop, and we church stop. Okay? And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back. It's all available on the podcast. But those are all ways that we deny that it's God's church and it belongs to him. We block, we hop, and we stop. And, uh, and they all rhyme, which is pretty cool. So, um, so the, the second week we came, uh, we learned how are we supposed to come to church? Uh, how, how are we supposed to do that? Uh, are we supposed to come uh, sort of with, with sad hearts? Are we supposed to come with, with reverence and, and a quiet reverence? Well, what we learned in the second week is that the way we come to church, and this is scriptural and we found this out of Psalm, is that we come in order to remember and then to celebrate and then to respond. That we, Each Sunday when you come to Emmaus Road, we're going to help you to remember the story of the gospel. We're going to retell the story of the gospel through preaching, through songs, through communion. Everything that we do is meant to center us on, this, on the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we can remember what he's done on our behalf. And then in our remembering, what that will birth in us, what will spring out of us, is a celebration of who God is and his character. And then the way that we show reverence to God is that we, we remember who he is, we celebrate that, and we celebrate his character, but we honor God and we revere God by responding to whatever he's calling us to do. And we talked about how so many times we we come with only one or two of those and we sometimes don't get all three. We'll remember and we'll celebrate, but we'll never respond. We'll try to celebrate without remembering and our celebration feels empty. And so we have to have those three elements of preparing our hearts in order to come to church. We remember, we celebrate, we respond. Last week what we talked about is that we committed ourselves together as a community to allowing ourselves and our faith to spill over into the lives of the people that we already know. In other words, we talked about evangelism. And I know, you know, that's no, no fun. Evangelism and money are like two things that no one ever wants to hear about. And uh, what we did is we pulled the veil off of evangelism. And uh, we said, really, all of these methods of evangelism that the church has so often used in modern culture really don't work. The biblical model for evangelism and in the, in the, in what we want to take on is not an evangelism 
program, but we want to begin to look at our lives and the people that are already in our lives that need Christ and how can we allow our lives to spill over into theirs. I would encourage you to join us in our Spilling Over initiative. Last week, we said, we said this, that on average, you have 8 to 15 people in your life already that need the hope of Jesus Christ. They're not an evangelism project. They're not the next target for you to, to, quote, get saved and then move on. These are people that you already love, that you already trust, that already trust you, but are not people of faith, that need the hope of Jesus, and that we would allow our lives to spill over into theirs, allow our faith to spill over into theirs. And the way that we responded last week, and this is the initiative, is that we invited you to identify five of those people. So we gave you a break. On average, you have 8 to 15, and we're just asking you to identify five. Okay, so we're going easy. Easy on you. We're showing you grace. We asked you to identify five people and make two commitments. One is to pray for those people daily, and two is to invite them to church. That's it. You can invite them to church any Sunday. Easter Sunday would be a great Sunday to invite them uh, because, because of this. Recent statistics and studies show that 96% of, of unchurched people are more likely than not to attend a church if they were invited. but only 2% of regular church attenders will invite an unchurched person this year. Only 2%. So if together we identified five people each, prayed for them, and invited them, imagine what God could do in the coming weeks and months as we move forward in faith of what God desires to do. So I invite you. We had fancy little cards last week, and if you want one of those, uh, we would love to have you fill one out. Uh, What we we ask you to do is keep one, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day, and then we keep one so that we can join you in praying for your friends by name. Uh, So if you want to fill those cards out, we have those available. Uh, But you don't need to fill a card out to join the initiative. So we invite everybody to participate in this. Five people, uh, invite them to church and pray for them daily. So this week, here's what we're going to look at together, is we're going to look at what does it mean to be a community. Because all along during this series, we've said uh, that, that the foundation is this truth. The church is not a building, it's a group of people. Yes, but what are these group of people supposed to do? What is their life together supposed to look like? And and what is their their primary calling? And we begin kind of filling that out a little bit. So today what I want to talk to you about is, is what is our community life together to look like? What does the church look like as it's operating according to God's will for our life together? And so we're going to try to tackle this 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 morning, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, So that's really the foundation. Now, the book of Romans uh, is, is considered to be sort of the theological centerpiece of the New Testament. That the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, uh, identifies and lays out a very systematic theology. And it goes something like this. He says, first of all, that everyone is guilty before God. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so he establishes that right off. And he says that this Savior, this rescuer that has come to us, is the person of Jesus Christ. He's not just a good model for the way that we should live. He's not just a great teacher. He is the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God, and our rescuer and our Savior. And we are sinners in need of a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus has died for us. He's been resurrected. So that through faith in Him, we will join Him in His death so that so that sin no longer reigns in us, so that we may also join him in his resurrected, that we may be resurrected to new life together. How's that for a summary of Romans? Pretty good? Now this is the gospel that, that, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, lays out. 
And that sounds like really great theology. And for those of you that are like philosophy majors and you like all this great theology and you say, oh, theology never has to touch our real life. It never has to be practical. I would argue with you. Theology is only so good as it is practical. In other words, the intersection about what we believe about God and how that intersects our lives and how that affects our lives is critical. And so once we get to like Romans chapter 12, Paul says, in light of all this theology that I've laid out for you, there's a certain way that we ought to live. There's a certain way that this truth ought to play out in our lives. And so that's where we're at today because he gives us some very practical, very specific ways in which our life together ought to look in light of Jesus. Are you with me? Are you excited to hear God's word today? Or are you still on spring break? Come on. You got to be with me. All right. Some of you are like spring break. I just worked. I don't have any spring break. I'm with you. Okay. All right. So Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 9 through 13. All right. So turn there with me. Uh, there should be a Bible somewhere in your neighborhood, in the, in the chair racks. And then uh, we've brought our digital Bible with us this morning. So it'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, but I want to read to you some very practical advice, uh, some practical words that, that the Apostle Paul shares with us in light of Jesus. What our life together as a community of the church should look like. It says this. This is Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. And practice hospitality. And so Paul gives us these instructions with a staccato punch. Right? Just one after another. Do this. Do this. Do this. And he starts with these words. Love must be sincere. Now some of you guys have been in the church long enough that you're like, I'm not so sure about that one, right? I mean, you've been in church long enough and you've been hurt by people in the church and you say, how in the world am I supposed to to love someone sincerely when I don't even like them? Now, I didn't think I'd hear an amen there, so it's all good. I'll take your silence as an amen and the fact that you've had some church experience, okay? Uh, So, right, I mean, how often in the church do do we get hurt by people? And we, we look at it, we come to passages like this that say love must be sincere. There's others in, in, in the New Testament that say we've got to love everybody. And we're like, how am I supposed to love them when I don't even like them? Right? <laughs> right. I knew a couple of you would be with me, right? Okay, so they, they said something bad about my kids. How am I supposed to love them if I don't even like them and if they don't like my kids? They can't talk bad about my kids. Or they, they, they didn't show up to the event that I was organizing. Or they, or they make snide comments every time I, I, I try to talk to them. Or every time I talk to them, I feel put down in some way or, or in some fashion. 
or her husband is on the board and they voted against that thing that was really important to me and that I was so passionate about and the church ought to be doing this, but the board voted it down. It was her fault because I shared my heart with her and, and her husband's on the board and, 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 and we, we start getting, and all of you are like, man, that's just petty stuff. That's where we live, isn't it? I mean, sometimes there's like a grievous offense But most of the time, the stuff that gets between this love must be sincere and we've got to love one another in the church, let's all just be honest for a second, can we, in church? A lot of times it's the petty things that get in the way. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And we're feeling all of a sudden that offense after offense after offense, that all of a sudden I don't like them. And now I'm supposed to, I come across scripture that says I'm supposed to love them, that my love has to be sincere. And, I, I wonder, and then that creates a lot of pressure in my life. How in the world am I supposed to love them if I don't even like them? I have great news for you today. The way that this very first line in verse 9 is structured in Greek is not an instruction or a command that's given to us. That our love toward one another must be sincere. It's a declaration of the character of love. So instead of seeing it as a command, your love must be sincere, the way the Greek is structured is that it essentially says, love is sincere. And all of a sudden, the pressure comes off. Because what's being talked about here is is not the fact that we have to, what we're being encouraged toward is not the fact that we have to sort of conjure up some sort of authentic love for these people and some of the people that we don't even like, right? I mean, we're we're a community. There are some people that you're going to connect with, that you're going to find community with. It's going to be beautiful. There are some people that you're going to be in conflict with. And the passage, what Paul is instructing us on, is not to take those people that we don't necessarily like and try to conjure up some sort of authentic love. What he's saying is he's teaching us about the nature of love. Love is sincere. And what he's moving us toward then is to act in loving ways, not to feel lovey-dovey toward one another necessarily. Does that make sense? That releases a lot of pressure. In, in, in church life and in community life, when conflict arises, and when conflict arises, because well, I mean, I'm just trying to be real with you. The conflict will arise among people in the church. It's just like it's just like if I have a premarital couple uh, that I'm counseling and they come into my office, they've been dating six months and they've never had a fight. I say, "You're not ready to get married," right? And they're like, "But come on, we're so in love." I'm like, you don't have a relationship. If you haven't been in a conflict, you don't have a relationship, right? So as we're doing our best to be in authentic community with one another, as we're doing our best to live life together, conflict will arise. And so what Paul is telling us is that when that happens, we ought to act in loving ways, not necessarily feel all lovey-dovey toward one another. That's a difficult message to get through our minds Because we live in a culture where love is completely reduced to a feeling. Every message you get about love tells you that it's this this lofty feeling that will last forever. And that is not the case. That's not even close to the case. What Paul is instructing us on is that love has a lot more to do 
with our action toward one another than it does our feeling toward one another. And then there's this really weird phenomenon that as we act in loving ways toward one another, the feeling will follow. In fact, let me just give you some really practical advice. If you're in conflict with someone today, whether it's in this church or whether it's at work, whether it's your spouse, do this. Do something loving for them. But I don't feel like it. Don't allow your feelings to lead. Allow the loving action to lead. Do something loving and do something to bless somebody that you're in conflict with and watch your affection for them grow. And watch your feeling for them grow. That's how it happens. So the pressure is off, right? Let's just take the pressure off. Love must be sincere. It's not a command. It's saying love is, in fact, sincere. Now, where Paul goes from here is he gives us some really practical advice on how love, authentic love, in action begins to play itself out in the midst of a community. And he says we ought to hate what is evil. We ought to cling to what is good. We ought to uh, hold to one another in brotherly love. And then he says we ought to honor one another above ourselves. Let me tell you, it is time for honor to return. We live in a culture of dishonor. We live in a culture of dishonor. We will dishonor something at the drop of a hat. Because listen to this, the difference between honor and dishonor, dishonor is seeing something as ordinary. And honor is, is seeing, is seeing the worth of someone or something. It's giving it proper weight. And so to dishonor something is say, oh, that's ordinary. That's everyday stuff. I've seen that before. To honor something is to build it up, to see its weight, and to see its worth or their worth, his or her worth. So, we can, so our honor can be directed toward another person, Our honor can be directed toward more abstract things like toward our country, toward our church, right? If we we really believe that this is a local expression of the global community that God is building around the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, wouldn't we want to honor this community when we're going about into our public life? And that's one way. One way to dishonor your church is to say, yeah, It's just like every other church. One way to honor your community is to build this community up and and begin talking about the ways in which you experience this community, the way or the reason in which you give it weight and you see its value. Here's what I receive. Here's what I'm able to give to this community that has weight. So we can honor all sorts of things. In fact, honor is a really biblical idea. Here's just some sampling of honor. It said in 1 Timothy 6.1, it says slaves should honor their masters. In other words, we honor those who are above us. 1 Peter 3.7, husband, honor your wives. Ephesians 5.33, wives, respect or honor your husbands. Ephesians 6.1-4, children, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. In other words, in scripture, and then here we have this one, honor each other above yourselves in Romans chapter 12. Honor, honor, honor all over scripture. What we get is that honor moves in every direction. We ought to honor those who are above us. We ought to honor those who are beside us in our peers. We ought to honor those who, that we serve, who are, 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 quote, below us. In other words, honor goes in every direction in Scripture. 
And so what Paul is saying is that if we're going to act in loving ways toward one another, first on the list is we've got to return to honor. We've got to honor those as, as, those as above yourself. And so, in other words, regardless of what this person has done to you, regardless of what this person has not done to you, regardless of where this person is at in your relationship with them, if they're part of this community, we are to honor one another above yourself. We are to see the weight. We are to see the value of each other. And so Paul gives us these very practical instructions to honor one another above ourselves. And to honor something is to place, in other words, what Paul is talking about here is to place the needs of others above your own. To place the needs of others above your own is a great way to honor someone. You want to honor someone? Put yourself in their shoes. And begin to see their needs instead of yours. Now that may not seem very profound, but you practice that. And watch how it absolutely transforms your life. And how you become a conduit for the power of God in your life. As you begin to see other people's point of view instead of just your own. Here's a trick that I teach couples when they're in the midst of conflict. And I tell them, in the midst of conflict, it's possible for you to honor one another. And it's possible for you to honor God in the midst of a conflict. Like conflict doesn't just have to be a shouting match to see who wins. Like, oh, we're in conflict. Let's put on the boxing gloves and let's get after it. But we can honor one another in conflict. Here's, here's the exercise that I walk couples through to do that. I say, okay, here's the conflict. Whatever it is, he won't take out the trash. You know, I don't know what it is. Some sort of conflict. I ask them to see the conflict from the other person's perspective. Why is it so important to her that I take out the trash? Because it's not about the trash. It's about something else. It's about the fact that she wants a clean home. It's about the fact that she, well, he, she doesn't believe that he listens to her. She doesn't think that what's important to, to her is important to him, right? All of these kinds of things. And if we can pull that veil behind and see the, uh, the conflict from the other person's perspective, we honor them. And then imagine if as a community, if you were in the midst of a conflict with someone else, if you would do that, and, and we do that for one another, we're now all of a sudden we're honoring each other in the midst of our life together. Sometimes things go really well. Other times things get a little bumpy along the road. But if we can honor one another in the midst of that, holding their values and their perspectives as more important than my own, then all of a sudden we're on honoring is moving in every direction up down, beside, and all around. And then now all of a sudden we're, we're fulfilling the biblical call of what it looks like in a community. So the time for honor has come. But so often what we do is we treat each other as below ordinary. And we don't see each other's value. We don't see, see each other's worth or weight. And so love playing itself out in the midst of a community is loving one another. Well, next Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. And then he talks about a spiritual fervor. Now, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I can't even remember the last time I said zeal in a normal conversation. Or fervor. I'm like, man, you need a little bit more fervor. And they're like, what? 
man, if you fervor on this floor, I'm going to make you clean it up. So, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like, these are words that we do not use in regular conversation. And so we're like, yeah, man, never be lacking in zeal. Give me some nucks. Uh, you know, we have no idea what we're saying, right? I mean, we have no idea. So let me, let me give you some words that I think will, will help us identify what, what, what Paul is talking about here. Zeal, uh, a, a close, another close English translation would be an eagerness, right? Let me illustrate it this way. Paul is saying, as a community, love working itself out in the midst of this community that God is building, we are to never be lacking in zeal. We are never to be lacking in an eagerness. Have you ever been to a church that just has it? You know what it is? Like, you just kind of walk in. You're like, man, this place has got it. And it's like alive, and the people are eager to hear God's word, and they're entering into worship. And it's like this beautiful experience. You can't help but be drawn in. And you, and you just sense that there's an eagerness, there's a zeal to the place. And then have you ever been to a church that just really doesn't have it? And you walk in, and you're like, there's people breathing, but it's pretty much dead. This place don't have it. They don't got it. That's bad English, but you know what I mean. Paul says a a, a community that is working itself out in love, in loving action, is one that will be eager to come and to hear God's word. It will be one that's a, a community that's eager to gather together. Never be lacking in zeal. And then he says... He goes on to say, keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Fervor would be like a, another good word would be like a steadfastness. So never be lacking in eagerness and have a steadfastness in serving the Lord. A spiritual steadfastness. And I really believe that this, this kind of spiritual steadfastness is this idea that as we live together in community, there will be an ebb and a flow. There'll be times when you are so on fire for the church that you're a part of. And there'll be other times where you're like, well, I'm here and I'm committed. There'll be times when your relationships in the church will ebb and flow. Times when you'll have this great community and then a person will move away. A great friend will, will, will leave and go somewhere else or You know, all kinds of things happen in life. And then all of a sudden you find yourself void of community. What happens is that so many people will allow their spiritual life to be dictated by these circumstances. And I think Paul says that love working itself out in our community together is a way of us having a steadfastness toward our community. To stick through the times where maybe things aren't exactly on fire. And those times maybe when I'm not experiencing the level of community that I would like. To begin to walk through that with honor for one another. With honor for God. And come out the other side and watch God's faithfulness provide for me those relationships in that community. As I'm intentional about finding those relationships. I told you this is intensely practical today. Intensely practical. Is your life marked with an eagerness and a steadfastness as you go about life in the community of God? Or is it you just go to the place that has it 
and then you are, are not steadfast in working that out. So I think that's part of what Paul is talking about. There's a zeal. There's a steadfastness. And then he talks about being joyful in hope. And he talks about being patient in affliction. And he talks about being faithful in prayer. And, and I think this kind of, this idea of joyful in hope, you know, I think hope has a really bad rap in the church today. That, that hope is sort of reduced down to just enduring hell on earth while we wait for heaven up there and out there somewhere. And, and what I feel like Paul is talking about, he's calling us to be joyful in hope, that, that, that hope has this, this essence to it where hope is available to us right here, right now, today, that new creation is breaking in, it's breaking through, that, that hope is this idea that in the midst of the times where it is required of me to be steadfast, I have hope that people can change, that God works on people's hearts, that I don't just write them off and dishonor them because, oh, they're that way, but I, I maintain hope that God can transform any heart as he's transformed mine. And for some of us, we need to maintain hope that he can transform our own heart. And so we're joyful in hope that if we really hope that things can change, if we really have the assurance that God's new creation is breaking in right here and right now that brings about a joy in the midst of any circumstance, can anybody hear me today? There's this joyfulness to the hope that we have because of God's new creation breaking in right here and right now. And so it's hope for today and an assurance for the future. That what I hope for for today and the transformation of people's lives will in fact be sure in the future in God's new creation. And so I'm hopeful and it brings about this joy And what he talks about then is that we're patient in affliction or suffering. That as I stand joyful in hope, it will lead to a patience in the midst of suffering and affliction. The mistake that some people make is that they they reduce hope to being just simply patient. I will just endure the hell that happens to me here on earth. I will just endure the things that I don't like. I will just endure, endure, endure. Hope says change is possible today. And if I am joyful in the possibility of change for today, and I stand in confidence for the change that I know is coming tomorrow, then that will lead to patience. So patience is the fruit of authentic hope versus reducing them to be the same thing. Are you with me now? Does that make sense? So Paul says that as a community, working in love, love working itself out in the community, we are to be joyful in hope that person can change just like I've been changed. New creation is breaking forth. And then, I, and then in the midst of suffering, I can be patient. And always, Paul says, being faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These instructions seem so staccato. They seem so separated. They seem so disconnected. But but I, I really see a connection to them because one of the best ways that we can show honor is to pray for someone. Are we faithful in prayer while we are joyful in hope and while we are patient in the midst of suffering? Let me ask you a very simple question today. Do you pray for this church? 
that you attend faithfully, that has provided you with community, where you come and to hear from God, to be encouraged? Do you show honor to this community by praying for its leaders, for its people, for God's will to be done, for the church to be resourced to go about the mission that God has called us to? Are you faithful in prayer? And believe me, I'm asking myself these same questions. Just because I'm up here with the microphone doesn't mean I have everything worked out, doesn't mean I live out everything perfectly. It just means that I'm held to a higher degree of accountability as I preach to myself. (laughs) Right? Are we faithful in prayer? And then Paul ends probably more on a more practical level than you can get. I mean, you can't get any more practical than this. He, he, He simply says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Really straightforward. Paul makes it clear that sincere love expresses itself in the community of Christ through us caring for one another. Now, a lot of people, there's a big church movement that says we've got to go back to the early church, and I'm not one of those guys. I don't think that we ought to, to go back to the early church, because if you, if you read the New Testament and the letters that were written to the, to the early church, the first church, those churches are pretty messed up, right? And the church now is pretty messed up. So I'm not one of these guys that said we just got to go back to the early church. But one of the things from the evidence that we see in the New Testament, one of the things that the early church did really well is they helped to make sure that the needs of one another in the community are met. And I would just encourage you that if you see a need that is, is, uh, is presented in this community, a lot of times our tendency is to call the pastor and wash our hands. A lot of times our tendency is to to let someone else know of the need, but never go about meeting the need ourselves. That's someone else's job. That's the pastor's job. That's the board's job. Yes, it is our job that as we want to become aware of needs and help meet them in our community, but what would happen if we took on that ownership for ourselves where you became aware of a need and you just met the need, right? I mean, how beautiful would that be? The working out of love among the community that God is building. If you see a need, help meet it. Rather than this idea that, oh, I just, as long as I tell someone else about the need, then I've done my part. Now, that's an important part. To let us know about the need. But if you have the resources to meet the need, I believe God would be pleased if you would just meet it. And then he says to practice hospitality. And, uh, you know, there are times in, in the life of living life together and doing community together that someone just needs a place to stay. And, uh, you know, that's a difficult thing in a culture where we pull up to our driveway, we open the garage door, we pull in, garage door closes behind us, We never see our neighbors. I mean, it's a difficult thing to allow anyone into our space and to invade our space. Paul's instruction and one of these really practical ways of love working itself out is if there's someone who needs a place to stay, that we as a community are to open our homes and practice hospitality. 
I want to tell you just a, a short story of a time where Amy and, Amy and I did that, and um, we kind of got mixed up about what, what it was all about. Uh, there was a young lady who was uh, raising support to uh, go and work with refugees around the world, and she wanted a, a cheap or no-cost place to live so that she could be raising support, save as much money as possible. So Amy and I opened up our home and uh, opened up our, our basement that has a little living space and, and a room there. And so uh, she stayed with us for a number of months. And as we got along the way, we thought, you know, she really ought to participate in the home. She ought to be fixing us meals one night a week. She ought to be helping us out with childcare because after all, we're, we're opening our home. And so she ought to play her part. And as the conflict arose, and we did our best to, to work through that conflict with honor, it occurred to me that we had forgotten that we opened up our home to serve her. And in us trying to serve and honor her, we expected that she serve us. Now in a mutual relationship where that honor is going both ways, that's a beautiful thing. But as soon as we started feeling like she was obligated to do that, then we had forgotten what, the whole reason that we had opened our home. And so this idea of hospitality is, is difficult because we, have, we live in such a my, my space kind of culture. You're invading my space. And so I would just encourage us today to begin looking at these really practical things that Paul shares about what a community life ought to look like and begin practicing those. And my heart and my belief is that as I've done my best to present these words and uh, give us lots of practical ideas is that God has spoken to you about something. Uh, that God is, is moving in your heart about a way that you can operate more in line with God's design for community together, for church community. But we also want to do our part. Uh, I, I don't want to just say, this is how it ought to be, and so go and do that, and good luck. Uh, we as a church want to do all that we can to begin practicing these things as well. And, and so from time to time, we'll hear about a need that's brought up or someone needs a roommate or someone has a car for sale and they're moving out of town and they really need to sell it in the next couple of weeks. And, and what we began to realize is that while, while one of you is selling a car, one of you is buying a car. And while one of you is, needs a roommate, one of you is looking for a roommate. And, and so we wanted to, to think of a way where we could cross-communicate and, and help make needs known and then just meet some of those needs in our community. One of you is looking for a really great plumber and one of you is a plumber. Right? And so we, we have like all these matches that would work really well. And so uh, starting in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have out in the Welcome Center a community board. And that is a place for you to share precisely what you need or what you have to offer. You're starting a brand new business and, and you're, you're looking for people that need plumbing. Uh, then we want to be able to help you get your business started uh, by giving you customers. And uh, you're looking to sell a car, you're looking to buy a car, whatever it is, we want to give you a bulletin board where you can post those needs and we can just begin to meet each other's needs uh, just on our own in a way that honors God. And so while I encourage you to take this message and begin to apply it specifically to your own life, we also want to participate as a, as a church and as a body uh, to help, meet, help you meet some of those needs as well. And so, really simple message this morning, really straightforward, but my prayer is simply this, 
that you have heard something that God has spoken to you in some way where you can begin to live uh, love out and allow love to express itself through you as you live life in this community. 